0: Greetings, adventures, and welcome to GNGGCast. Welcome, everyone, to Good Night and Good Game, your geek news roundup for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me this week, as always, is my co-host, Hector. Hello. And this week on the show, after the news, our main topic is going to be about downtime in video games. I really want to discuss these places that are far away from the action that we enjoy and really explain why we love them so much. Before we start, don't forget that you could head over to goodnight.gg, where, as a patron of our show, you can suggest topics for us to talk about. Our PT retrospective is up, and we're going to be working on a new episode soon. Uh, I've got an outline for what we're going to be doing for The Expanse. Um, just had a small hitch in the finishing the script as the uh, Overwatch League is right around the corner, so I'm just working on a script for the Outlaws Outpost show that we're going to be recording on Sunday. So, a lot of juggling a lot of plates here, but we're going to get through it. With all that out of the way, it is time for the Prelude. Prelude. All right, this is the Prelude. This is what we've been doing with ourselves this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time and making us happy. Hector, what do you got for me? Well, um,
1: unsurprising to uh, everyone, I am still playing Elden Ring, playing quite a bit of it. Uh, I'm very close to the end, as far as I know. Okay. My per- my first playthrough took me well over 100 hours. Wow. Um. And from what I've seen, likely uh, my subsequent playthroughs will be much shorter because that's just the type of game it is. Yeah. Like there's a mode where you do everything and then there's a mode where you know exactly what you want to make, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the charm to me for something like that. Yeah. But uh, I've been doing a lot of that. I've been replaying Control lately. Okay um just absolutely wonderful game beautiful game that one's on your bucket list for sure it is absolutely yeah and uh i mean i've talked about it here on the show before so i won't go into too much detail but it's good enough that i'm playing it again again because i I always play remedy games twice and this is my third playthrough so nice yeah it's great stuff i haven't really been watching too much uh, I started the second season of We're Here it's uh, it's great there's been a lot of really good YouTube lately but they're yeah. also one off that it's hard to like keep a list but you know great stuff especially if you're into games right
0: now um, mm-hmm. yeah gaming YouTube if you're lo- especially if you're into like long form essays there's some mm-hmm. great stuff out
1: there oh yeah so um, yeah it's, uh, th- that's been me
0: okay man it's gonna be a short list for us this week mm-hmm. it'll be much bigger next week we're going to see like two movies this week yeah we are so we'll definitely have stuff <laughs> (laughs) to talk about on on that side of the world uh for me it's fairly boring actually because um i'm honestly still enthralled by resident evil 8 i've finished my second playthrough of it and of course last week's episode we talked at length about it um this week i got into playing the mercenaries mode which is these very you know short 10 to 15 minute uh missions you play where it's just about like killing as fast as possible you're you're just trying to speed run the level as much as you can Mm -hmm. um I didn't think I was gonna get into it as much as I have, but there's just something about the combat in Resident Evil 8 that once the flow state starts, mm-hmm. you just you get so enthralled and, and trapped by it that you're like, yeah, like that only took me like five or you know, five to ten minutes to play that mission, and I only got like a B ranking, but I could do it again. I, I know in my mind how I could be doing this faster. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the hook and I think that's how they get you. And yeah, Resident Evil 8 just continues to, like, top to bottom really great. Uh, other than that, the only other thing I've been watching is I've been watching on the Discovery Plus um, the uh, uh, Guy Fieri's uh, Tournament of Champions. Oh, yeah. Uh, if it's you've never seen this before, it is basically the modern successor to, like, Iron Chef, mm-hmm. except it is a bracketed cooking tournament. Yeah. The best of the best show up for this. It is considered like it and it's easy for people to dismiss guy fietti and i wish they wouldn't because he's actually a really great person mm-hmm. um they're like oh it's a guy fietti show whatever no this tournament is like well respected in like like the tournament cooking scene.
1: Like. Yeah, like, like the, the, they're... they're um, just, just to jump in here, like, he's absolutely right. This is like Iron Chef turned up to 11, whereas Iron Chef was about somebody up and coming challenging a master. This is a bracketed tournament where all the masters fight each other. Yeah. Like, it, it is great. You know, you enter in high seed if you've won a ton of tournaments in the past. Mm-hmm. You enter in a little bit lower if you're a little bit younger. And, I mean, I, I've only seen a few episodes of the show, and I've seen huge upsets with people losing... That I never thought would. It all comes down to one meal. It's completely blind judging. Yep. Like they really do a good job of making the show feel like the rules matter, mm-hmm. and that everyone got enough time to make what they wanted. Well, I mean,
0: the rules do matter. In season mm. three, uh, spoilers for I, I want to say the first episode, mm. um, one of the contestants didn't get like two ingredients on their plate or something oh. like that, mm-hmm. and he had to walk over to this dude that he that he respects and like you know appreciates as a friend and chef, and go. I'm sorry, this de- this de- this disqualifies de- de- you. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're out of the tournament at this point, point. Mm-hmm. and it it can be heartbreaking because yeah, these are tough. some of the most talented chefs in the world. It is absolutely insane, and the episodes, by the way, are an hour and a half. I just oh, want to yeah. point that out. Like this show is not a a binge show. I will watch one episode at mm-hmm. a time. You know, because it takes a lot out of you. You're watching basically four people or four sets of tournaments Mm -hmm. happen in one episode. If you love cooking competition shows, you are doing yourself a disservice if you are not watching Tournament of Champions. There are three seasons of it up, and don't let anybody spoil it for you. Just go in blind and watch it, because Mm -hmm. every season of it is absolutely fantastic. All right, that's everything that we have for the Prelude this week. We're going to take a small break, and when we come back, we'll be going into our main news segment in the Weekly Raid. The Weekly Raid. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is The Weekly Raid, our news highlights for the week. Kicking things off this week, the Netflix show Lock and Key will be wrapping up its story with the release of the third season later this year. Neat. According to the showrunners, this was always the length they had intended for the show to run. Uh, I, so I have feelings here, um, okay. mostly because I was a person who was buying Lock and Key as it was coming out. Oh, yeah. Um, Last, if you're listening, give me back all of my comics, please. Um, <laughs> he's had them for like five years. Um, it is a show that could go a lot longer, but I understand that Netflix has a very strict, like, we only go so many kind of seasons rule yeah. with their shows. So I'm glad that they kind of seem to have gone into it with that intent. That um, They were only going to take the time that they have. I'm hoping that if it gets enough viewer numbers that they will want to maybe do other like mini seasons or something. Because Lock and Key is such a, a deep universe that, that Joe Hill has crafted and they can do so much with it, especially right now in the comics with the uh, they're doing a Sandman crossover in the comics right now. And like, I I would love because the Sandman show is going to be coming out to Netflix. So yep. I'm like, can he can he give me a crossover? Because I want to see it.
1: That, that, yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be. I mean, like that that little extended universe would be pretty yeah. interesting.
0: Also, Lock and Key is great kids horror. And That's something that we talk about a lot on this show. Is that there isn't a lot of horror for children. It is not a particularly scary show, but for a young enough audience, like it could be a little bit terrifying. Because you know, somebody finds a key, turns it, and then their ghost pops out of their body. Like that that can be terrifying to a child. So I, I'm always trying to encourage, you know, whenever we find really good children's horror to really get it out to the masses. Because if it becomes unpopular, then we may, may may never see stuff like that again. And that's a shame because I remember being a kid and getting into horror. And it wasn't just adult horror I got into. I did read R.L. Stein. I did do those things alongside Stephen King. And like horror is such a beautiful art. And being able to share it with such a diverse age group of people, I think, is vitally important to the craft. Mm-hmm. Also in Netflix news, they are going to be airing their first movie with an NC-17 rating. Ooh. It's a uh, biopic about Marilyn Monroe called Blonde. It's actually more fiction than reality. Okay. Um, the rating is due to some sexual content. Mm-hmm. Uh, when asked about the rating, the director, uh, Andrew Dominic said, It's a bunch of horseshit. if the audience doesn't like it, that's the audience's fucking problem. It's not running for public office. It's an NC 17 movie about Marilyn Monroe. It's kind of what you want, right? I want to go and see an NC 17 version of the Marilyn Monroe story.
1: Yeah, honestly, that's, that's what kind of what you're there for. Like, like, like everyone knows where we're going with this story and like the story of hopefully like, you know, what, what happened to this person and, what it's like to be this person in real life, you know? She's such uh, a tragic
0: figure. If yeah, you really study her; like she's very, very much a tragic figure.
1: Yeah, I, I I think about her a lot when I think about um, Cassie from um, uh, from Euphoria. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very much uh, like the, you, you're you're kind of born or grow into your form as like something other people look at and consider a goddess. And how do you deal with that? And then you mm-hmm. realize oh, but they really only just want this one thing. And it's probably right. the only nice thing you ever hear about yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it, it inspires a lot of different kinds of behavior, you know, mm-hmm.
0: and the, yeah. the The mental image, when you say the words Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. you have an image that pops into your head of the person. mm mm-hmm. And even if you know, it's kind of like Batman in that way. Like, Mm. even kids who don't know what the thing is, you could say it and they, there is an association, right? Oh, yeah.
1: It's practically, like, it's almost more of a costume than it is a human being. Right. Like, if someone says, if someone shows up in a costume and has to say, I'm Marilyn Monroe, they've already done it wrong. Right. Right? But then again, you could probably show just about anybody pictures of Marilyn Monroe just out walking around the way we have paparazzi today Mm -hmm. and they'd be like, Oh, who's that? She's kind of cute. Just a little fat.
0: Um, yeah. And she's such a tragic figure and I, I'm, I w I do want to see this, um, them saying from the get go, this is more fiction than fact. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll be an interesting watch. But I'm hoping they don't do a disservice to her because yeah, me too. she was a very intelligent, very tragic figure. And it was it is important to tell her story because she was kind of just abused by the system that she worked in. So. Absolutely.
1: Oh, and just to clarify, that was not me calling Marilyn Monroe fat. Absolutely not. Yeah. But she was bigger than most people remember her. She was a size 16, which is... Uh, astronomical compared to the beauty standard we hold today with our, like, yeah. d- like, like breakable models and, yeah. and actresses and whatnot. Not that they're not beautiful, too, but you know what I'm saying. It, the, the beauty standard was different, and she would be judged differently by people who saw her today. Absolutely.
0: Uh, in the world of remakes that won't seem to die, The Crow is getting remade again, this time directed by Rupert Sanders, who worked on Ghost in the Shell. It'll be starring Bill Skarsgård. Um, it'll be a modern retelling of the Eric Draven story and is already in pre-production. Zach Balin, who wrote the uh m- uh movie King Richard, mm-hmm. is writing the script for this.
1: Okay. Okay, so so, uh, so, so sometimes you shouldn't give Oscar winners a blank check to write anything they want.
0: <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about this because yeah. I was a sixteen-year-old goth kid, so here we go, guys. Strap in. We're gonna be we're gonna talk about the crumb. <laughs> I loved The Crow growing up. I still love The Crow. I listen to that soundtrack still to this day. It is so good. It is perfect in every single way. The amazing performance of Brandon Lee just haunts me and sticks with me. And every time they they go back to The Crow well, the thing that pisses me off is that if you've read the comics, there are so many amazing, gorgeous, haunting Crow stories that you can tell. But for some fucking reason, <laughs> everybody wants to go back to the Eric Draven story. It was done once. It was done perfectly. The dude died doing it. We should just let that one sit, maybe.
1: Stop killing Batman's parents. <laughs> right.
0: Because, A, like I said, there's a million other beautiful Crow stories out there. They, mm-hmm. they are just they are perfect to pick up. Second, the Eric Draven story came out in film. And then, if you were unaware, they did a TV show where they basically just redid the movie in long form with worse actors. Yes,
1: yeah, I wasn't aware of the TV it, show. It,
0: it is it is bad. Mm. Then, and, and I'm not talking about the other Crow movies, by the way. Those are different stories. I'm talking about specifically the Eric Draven story. Then over the last like 10 years, we had people that worked on Blade trying to do one reboot. Mm-hmm. We had people who worked on uh, Before the Fall with actor Luke Evans, I believe, that worked on another version of it that didn't, get, uh, that didn't happen. Uh, the crew behind The Nun around t- 2017 were going to remake The Crow with Eric Draven with Jason Momoa. There was a giant like internal conflict that happened there, and it didn't get made. And there was like, there's actually pictures of him like in the crow makeup footage. You can find it online. I
1: bet you he looks fucking awesome. Looks fantastic. But
0: here's the thing: this, I'm sorry, like I don't want to believe that uh, the film is cursed, but like maybe this one's (laughs) cursed. Maybe we don't like do a do a different crow story. Mm. Pick one of the eight trade paperbacks that exist. Do one of those, and maybe just let this one live where it lives. Yeah,
1: I I don't know. Like, based on everything you're saying, it sounds like the previous, you know, attempts and... Actual creations of this story have all been by people who were like picking a property out of a basket, and not people who like loved the story or loved the character. And I, to get I, further I would into say it. that
0: maybe like when Jason Momoa side, because I remember mm-hmm. reading some interviews around that time with him, and we may have actually discussed some of the show around that time. Mm-hmm. He was super into it because he was actually a big fan of it. Okay,
1: I mean, and that would be nice. Um, uh, let's see. I, I, as a non crow person, like I like the movie, yeah. but I've seen it like
0: twice. Yeah, you know, like it, it's it, it's cool. You're doing yourself a disservice. By- <laughs> that one, my friend. You know what we we've been doing this thing where you know we watch Coco mm-hmm. and like oh, yeah. do the whole thing next Devil's Night, my friend. Mm-hmm. We are getting together and watching The Crow. Yeah, I it Yeah, it, it's go. a
1: good movie. I like it. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't have any like I like I don't know about any any of the Crow beyond just what I learned in that movie. Yeah. Um. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what people would be making I mean, it
0: o- does operate very differently in the comics I'll just point that I, out
1: See, and I'm sure And I'm almost more interested in seeing that Now, again, I love Skarsgård as an actor He yes. is phenomenal
0: And the thing is, when I read Skarsgård Like, playing the crow I could mm-hmm. pic- I immediately could picture it in my head I'm yep. like, yep, I can see it There it is mm-hmm. But I just, I just wanted to be a different crow It would be great if it
1: was a different story, yeah. Yeah. And, like, they really don't need to, like, I don't know, like, why remake the same thing again um, if you're not going to vastly improve it? And this feels weird because when we think about video games, and we're going to get to this bit of news, but, Mm -hmm. like, a game from my past that I played over and over and over and over and over again, and its sequel that I also played over and over and over again, are getting a remake from the studio that made them originally mm. in a way better engine and they're gonna smush them together into a one big story and i'm like oh my god am i allowed to have this much fun yeah. like someone call the police mm. like, like i cannot wait for that remake and then when i turn around and think about it in film and think about something like this i'm like what are we improving yeah. Cuz like the thing I just described to you takes an old property that's hard to experience now and updates it for a modern audience. And if that's what they're trying to do here like uh, movies don't fade the same way games do. They they don't become more difficult to to watch. Mm. You know, unless there's glaring issues with them. Like, if the art is there, then the art is there. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as they weren't mean-spirited from the get-go or any kind of ist or, like, you know, any of those things. If the work of art stands as good when it was and is good now, don't don't remake it. Yeah. It was good then. Nobody wanted this. I agree.
0: Let's move into some game news. Yeah. Hector, you brought some news to my attention this week Mm -hmm. about a little game called Loop Hero and their publisher, Devolver Digital. Could you tell the audience a little bit more about this?
1: Right. So um, the uh, creators of Loop Hero uh, have their origins among the various members of their team in uh, Russia and the Ukraine and that whole area of the world. It's a... It's a big enough. It's a small enough area in the world when you like point at certain spots that it's like, yeah, our dev team in North Texas has people in it from like Oklahoma and, you know, New Mexico and Mm -hmm. Louisiana. Of course it does. Right. Like, we're all from the same place, so that's what's going on with this team. Well, basically, because of the sanctions going on with the Ukraine war, and if anyone doesn't know you, the Ukraine is at war with Russia, um, try and keep up. <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> but so, I've heard it's made a small headline,
1: yeah. There, there, there have been a few news articles here and there, yeah. but um, not to min- minimize a conflict, it's horrible. Don't invade sovereign nations, Russia, right? Um, but anyway. So the studio has been in contact with um, the people of Russia because of a lot of sanctions. They're not allowed to access some of the games that they have previously bought, and they're not allowed to purchase new games and things like that. Right. So the developers realizing this, realize uh, the people of Russia, I mean, I don't want to say for the most part. I don't have any demographic in you know, hope but but, but for, from what we hear over here, uh, the, the, there are people in Russia who do not support this war, this invasion. Yeah. Um, And they, uh, uh, you know, and they're still being punished for it by by the sanctions that other countries levy against them so that they'll fucking stop it. So the people of Loop Hero, the developers of Loop Hero, basically got on Twitter and said, Hey, guys, we know you can't experience our game right now. Um, Maybe raise the one-eyed pirate flag, you know, and uh, maybe just grab the game anyway. um, We won't be mad about it. And then they tweeted an actual torrent link. To, to their game. It, to their they game. They just released. To, to, to steal their game. Here, please steal our game if you would like to play it. Um, Sorry, things suck right now. Mm-hmm. And in probably the greatest fucking move in all game publisher history, their publisher, Devolver Digital, gets on Twitter right behind them, looks at all this going on and goes, Oh, yeah, that's cool. We're good with that. Yeah, yeah, Go ahead and steal the game, Russians. Yeah, no, honestly, like, you do you.
0: <laughs> I just do not understand how the world could hold the balls <laughs> of Devolver Digital. No
1: shit. Like, should be too heavy.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, like,
1: like, like, the world is actually, like, hanging off of the balls that are actually I, orbiting I the I hate sun. saying
0: this kind of stuff because so often on this show, we have so many bad stories coming out from the games industry. And we try to highlight the good ones where we can so that it's not all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those instances where, and we have been talking for a very long time on this show about how great Devolver Digital is. Oh, yes, and they um, are. There's a, so, so to kind of give you the opinion, uh, to show you what Devolver Digital is like as a company, there is a GDC talk, that, uh, which is the games developer conference that goes on once a year. And there is a... Um, panel that you can find online on YouTube right now, and it's called You Don't Need a Game Publisher. The people who run this one are the publisher Devolver Digital. Mm -hmm. They literally line out how a game company can make it on their own. And that's one of the core tenets of their business model is that people could be doing this shit on their own. We're fortunate that they come to us. Yep. And also it helps they also publish weird indie shit they're yes. kind of like the a24 of like no
1: they, they straight up find mm. somehow i don't know who works there what kind of brilliance they have mm. but i swear to god devolver digital just combs the game space for the most interesting and like stylistically consistent games that they can find mm-hmm. and says would you like to be distributed internationally please yeah, how how would you would you please enjoy some success on us? Yeah. so that we can also profit from your brilliance, mm-hmm. and this is how they approach the, the 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 game creators that they do, and it just it feels so good. Mm-hmm. It, it it's so cool, and they put on. At major cost and effort to themselves and getting them practically nothing in return. The greatest E3 shows that the conference has ever seen and will likely ever see.
0: That is very true. And
1: the fact that there is no E3 this year, basically digitally or in person, makes me very, very sad that we likely will not get a Devolver Digital conference this year. But I really hope we do. I really hope they do it anyway. So
0: I don't like to go into rumor and speculation, my friend, Mm -hmm. but... That leads right into our next topic, which was that last week we mentioned that the largest North American gaming trade show, E3, had officially been canceled this year, as Mm -hmm. you just said. Thank you for bringing us to this point. There was a rumor that Jeff Keighley would still be hosting an event of some kind. Oh, I'm
1: sure he will. And
0: that was confirmed this week. The Summer Game Fest will be taking its place, but it has been confirmed as of right now, as a time of recording, E3 will be returning in 2023. Okay. So... My theory, tinfoil hat, this mm-hmm. is all rumor speculation, this is not news, this mm-hmm. is just us talking as friends, I think it, Devolver Digital straight up going to hijack part of Jeff Keighley's show.
1: I think they should. I think that's what he's been like uh, Twitter smirking about ever since E3 got canceled officially. Yeah. He's basically like... And I haven't seen him put out any major calls like, yo, anybody who had shit ready for E3, come talk to me, but... That's kind of what's going on on yeah. Twitter right now. He's basically like, "Hey, I'm I'm still doing stuff. Anyone want to anyone want to help me scoop the entire game industry again Cause
0: in a safe and professional <laughs> manner?" Yeah, in
1: a safe and professional manner. Man, yeah, remember when he was the first person to, like, leak a gameplay trailer, to, to, like, show a gameplay trailer of Elden Ring? Oh, yeah. The biggest game in the world.
0: Oh, yeah, that was good. That was the Game Awards, I think, right? Yeah, it was the Game Awards. At least we still have the Game Awards. Yeah, we do. All right. So, like we were kind of talking about earlier, uh, it is rare on this show that we get to make good announcements when it comes to video game studios. Mm -hmm. So we try to get them in where we can. And there was more news this week. This is good. We have a couple good news items. I like it. Yay, developers. So Capcom has announced that they are going to be giving their workers a 30% raise across the board on average and will be instituting a new bonus program as well. They haven't outlined uh, outlined what all that is yet, but the bonus or the pay increase did go into effect, and I don't have it in my notes, but I believe April 1st, so just awesome. last week. Okay. They are doing this to retain their current talent and hopefully draw new talent to the company.
1: Yeah, um, didn't it, um, I think I read the same article, didn't it say something about bonuses being based on how well the the company performs?
0: It's something like that. Yeah,
1: it, maybe not exactly profit share, but something, yeah. you know, some kind of incentive-based bonus. So, I mean, yeah, this is
0: good shit. This is very good shit. Um, we and, spent an entire episode last week talking about how great Resident Evil 8 was, mm-hmm. and now we sit here in this new episode a week later, and Capcom's just like, yeah, you liked how good Resident Evil Eight was. We'd like to keep everybody that fucking worked on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, let me like, like Resident Evil Seven, Resident Evil Eight, a um, Devil May Cry Five yeah. uh, was recently released within the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm forgetting a couple of major ones. I've, I've got
0: my fingers crossed so hard that Street Fighter Six is going to be just amazing from the get go. Yeah, yeah, I me mean, too. I'm hopeful. And I, when it comes to video games and the video game industry, this, uh, I try not to be hopeful. Mm-hmm. You know, the ga- they they let me down.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but
0: like,
1: yeah, we can't we can't trust anyone after Cyberpunk. Like everything's yeah. under the table. We're just waiting. We we we're no longer a pre-ordering culture. We we wait mm. for reviews.
0: <laughs>
1: I waited for reviews for Elden Ring. Shit.
0: I know, and I knew that I wanted that day one, mm-hmm. and I still haven't played it. But soon, but soon there'll be Elden Ring in my. Uh... In my future. Hell yeah. So going back to a topic that you were talking about earlier, actually, after the success that was the Alan Wake remaster, mm. Studio Remedy has announced this week that they were working alongside Rockstar Games and they did have to work together on this. Yes, because I
1: believe they, the game they the, both, the, the, the IP is owned by Rockstar, right. I think. But yeah. it was a remedy, remedy. made game.
0: Correct. Mm-hmm. So they had to do a lot of talking to get to this point. Yep. Um that they are going to be doing remakes of the action uh, noir action game Max Payne and Max Payne Two, mm-hmm. but doing it as one complete collection.
1: Yes, in the same engine that powered Control. And if you've never seen that game, just um, find the highest resolution screen you can and a YouTube video of some gameplay, and just put it on. You know, find a find a nice YouTube uh, Control PC Ultra settings. Like and just, just watch the person run around with some of the most beautiful graphics I have seen still to this day. Mm-hmm. And um the game is a couple years old now. Mm-hmm. So this engine is going to be powering the new beautiful noir masterpiece, Max Payne 1 and 2.
0: I'm excited about this because much like um Alan Wake it was a game that was kind of always on my bucket list, mm-hmm. but I never got around to playing. Yep. And all my friends had great things to say about it. Oh, They're yeah. Like, oh, it's like this, this this noir story. It's like a modern noir story and mm-hmm. it's gritty and, you know, you it, 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 it had bullet time mechanics. Oh, yeah.
1: It's where bullet time <laughs> came from. I mean, yeah. like, obviously it was in movies and shit, but, like, yeah. there was no bullet time in games, really. Not yeah. before this. Yeah. And never again in the same way, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The closest I could think of is super hot.
1: Yeah. I, I almost want, like, like, you should play this and and go back and play Alan Wake again, there are a lot of Max Payne references in Alan Wake. Oh, really? And there are a lot of references to both in Control. Oh, <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And no, nothing important, so, so not, nothing story-driven,
1: but just like like you smirk all the time. You're just like, eh, I, 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 yeah, I see what you're doing.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So apparently I've just missed the entirety of Remedy's catalog. Yeah, yeah. And so just I'm, never it, played. it. was
1: literally, they were like, hey, I should make a game for James. And then you just sat there ignoring them until like <laughs> right. the last year. <laughs> right,
0: because I wanted to play Control so bad because yeah. you're like, oh, it's like House of Leaves with the video game. And yeah. I was like, well, that's exactly my shit. Yep. So, and then you're like, well, before you play Control, though, you really need to play Alan Wake. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so I've got this... Full history of Remedy (laughs) games that I apparently need to get off my ass and go fucking play. But
1: you're in luck very making them. You would be in the same situation if you were like, I should go back and play Demon Souls. We have a thing for you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It
0: happens to be. Finally this week, we end sadly as usual with our segment, Blizzard, are you okay? Blizzard's not Okay. This past Monday, over 80 people staged a walkout due to Activision Blizzard lifting requirements for employees to be vaccinated at the office. Uh, as soon as news of the potential walkout began to spread, Activision Blizzard quickly released a statement. The health and safety of our employees is the absolute forefront of everything we do, including our return to office policy. While, uh, while Activision Blizzard's U.S. vaccine mandate has been lifted, For the majority of our employees, we are still operating under a voluntary return to office opportunity. In addition, employees who are not comfortable returning to the office are encouraged to uh, work with their manager and our HR team to explore options for working arrangements that suit their individual situations. We will continue to monitor conditions and make adjustments to the policy as needed. We recognize some employees may be participating in a walkout to express their views. The company supports our employees' rights to express their opinions in a safe and non-threatening way, and we will not retaliate for any decision to participate in this walkout. The company also hopes that those who walk out will conduct themselves in a legal safe and non-violent manner
1: well someone's trying to get bought for more money than it would take to feed everyone on earth
0: yep yeah because they they're really are behaving
1: themselves aren't they
0: they sure are yeah look, why this
1: time last year that have been like oh we don't need them they're always more vecas, you mm. know and, and yeah look at us now
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, like, happy with this statement for the the record. No, no, no.
1: It's not a... It's basically a, we promise not to hurt anyone for protecting their rights. Please believe us, because we know you don't. That's what this is. This is a... I know that I'm the machine that, like, eats puppies, but please, don't worry about your basket of puppies. machine for pigs, Hector. Don't worry about your basket of pigs. (laughs) Just leave it right there. I promise I've stopped eating pigs. I <laughs> it's promise. A machine for pigs. Yes.
0: It's it's just <laughs> all of it straight up. Microsoft is watching every single solitary move oh, yeah. that they make.
1: And Blizzard can't mm-hmm. help but keep but stay in the news. Like just by oh, keep I know. doing they just keep doing shitty shit. I like I you know what I would love I would love for a week to go by where Blizzard is in the news for just like releasing a video.
0: Okay, so here's the thing is that Blizzard actually did have some good news that were released just before the show hit, so I didn't have time to fact check it. Okay. So in theory next week if Blizzard does nothing wrong, <laughs> We, we will, have, have, good we will have a news. week with good Blizzard news, but oh I need man. to fact check it first. Yeah,
1: right on. Okay. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> that is what it is. All right. That is everything that we have for the news this week. But stay with us because when we come back on the other side, we'll be going into our main topic in the boss room. Boss room. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is the boss room, our main topic for the show. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. This week, I wanted to dive into something a little bit more personal for me. Lately, I've been thinking about downtime in video games. Mm -hmm. When I talk about downtime, I mean safe places in video games, areas that are like not about the moment to moment action, but are just about like taking in the environment or the people around you. So a couple of examples, just right off the top of my head, um, are like the village in Resident Evil, evil, evil sorry, we can't talk to no, in Resident Evil 8, mm-hmm. once you've cleared the village out, it becomes oh, this yeah. explorable area that you just, you get to just take in the, the beauty of it. And, yeah. I, and I'm a person who's like really into dark beauty, like mm-hmm. like rotting trees and stuff like that. Just, yeah, you know, like and it's like a relatively spaces.
1: poor village, so you yeah. just kind of get to like wanderlust all over their lives. Yeah. And like, it's all video game art, but still it's like, look at this table. This is where people eat. Yeah. Like you get to look all up in the nooks and crannies of their houses and mm-hmm. shit. Like it's, it's
0: good. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things uh, that isn't just wandering around is the Milano in Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Honestly, and to speak to the Guardians of the Galaxy game, my favorite segments of that game were just hanging out with the crew. Mm -hmm. It was just quiet moments where you just got to talk to everybody and learn more about them and, Mm -hmm. like, you know, question their decisions or they question your decisions and
1: get a little backstory, understand where someone might have been coming from earlier when they said something. Like, Mm -hmm. it just. It, it 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 needs for you to be paying attention to the people on your team. Mm-hmm. So Guardians that, does
0: that so well because yeah. somebody will say something in the heat of the moment in a conversation, and then they'll come back to you on the ship and mm-hmm. be like, "Hey, bro, I'm really sorry about that," no. and you have to like really remember what happened.
1: Yeah, no, I have a, uh, I have like, oh my god, there's this, uh, like, and, and small 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 spoilers for a conversation in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, but... uh, So Gamora, at least in my MCU version, is the only version that I know. So this version of Gamora is different. Mm. Um, She's quippier. She gives the most hilariously bad, almost dad joke level one-liners while she's fighting. And this was an aspect of the character I wasn't familiar with. And she absolutely nailed me with one early in the game. Mm. Like, she just... Throws out a great line, and I'm just, I just die laughing. I'm like, how is that? How did that just come out of like one of the greatest warrior in the galaxy's mouths? Yeah, like that was so fucking dumb.
0: I mean, it and, was the, the, the super like high level dad joke.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was so great. And then later, hours and hours and hours later in the game, you're having a random conversation, and you talk about why she keeps coming up with jokes while she's fighting, and and what. Where it came from and like what it means to her, and you're, you're like you notice it so much. It gets dark. It like gets very dark. It's Gomorrah Her story is yeah. not happy. Yeah. Right. So it gets super dark, and you the jokes hit differently after that. Mm-hmm. But you almost want you almost want to find them funnier than you did before. Right. It, it, I don't know. It's, it, it's a really wonderful trick.
0: Yeah, spend time, if you've never played this game, always spend time with the crew. Talk mm-hmm. to them where you can, because the best part of this game is just sitting with them and learning about them. Yeah. Because it just makes everything else so much better.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed.
0: So let's talk about quiet times. and I've given a couple examples here. Yeah, like,
1: yeah. Um, um, uh, one of my favorites, just right off the top of my head, and um, I'll describe more about what I'm thinking uh, afterwards, but uh, in Ghost of Tsushima... Um, there isn't any, like, traditional safe spaces. There, It's an open-world game, and there are events out in the world, and it'll be like, take this village back, or conquer this other thing, or, um, you know, go track this guy who's, like, killing villagers or something. Like, you're Mm -hmm. always doing some open-world stuff to take back your small island from the invading Mongol horde. Um, And then... Every once in a while, one of the items on your map, you'll just get there, and there's a little mat to sit on. And you'll sit on it, and the game will just start to show you the vista around you in close-ups, in big, drawn-out um, you know, landscapes, sometimes very close to your character, sometimes facing them, sometimes yeah. facing their back. And you literally select options based on what you think is best and they're all thematically tuned with. It's a sentence. It's it's a part of a haiku. It's a third of a haiku. It's one line, and you pick it by looking at a piece of the landscape that it is describing, and you pick three of these, and then your character will read the haiku back to you.
0: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I you love get. That.
1: And you get basically, you don't get a big reward. You get, like, a different kind of headband. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time in the game, you're wearing a helmet anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's just, like, a little visual flair, but it's just a moment to, like, sit there and appreciate how beautifully crafted the world is, how gorgeous it is, whether the sun's rising or setting, whether it's nighttime, sometimes it's raining, sometimes it's windy. And, yeah, it's just a, like, super quiet zen moment where you can, like you know, you're incentivized in a very small way to like stop and smell the flowers. Yeah.
0: And I think that when I talk about these quiet places, they aren't always the obvious thing. It's so easy to think about something like, oh, well, here's a town in a Final Fantasy game where Mm -hmm. you go and hang out. Um, Sometimes it's just like, you know, you'll be playing a game and I don't, love Skyrim. I'm sorry. I, I I don't feel like I need to apologize. I don't like Skyrim.
1: You don't have to apologize for not liking any of the Elder Scrolls yeah. games. They all have a lot of I, flaws. I
0: loved Morrowind growing up, but man, Oblivion and Skyrim were a pain for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are places where you'll just find a cave. And there's nothing really in the cave, mm-hmm. but you get to kind of wander. It, and I love that. Yeah, I love that there's just this place that just has no purpose because I am always, because I do follow a lot of game dev, uh, YouTube and Twitter. Um, I, when I play games sometimes, maybe in an unhealthy way, I think about game dev a lot while I'm playing games. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, Oh, why is this platform here? I wonder why the dev would put this here. Oh, it's because it's going to try to instruct me to like move this area or I'll get through a really great flow state where it takes me through a tutorial. And I'm like, Oh, that was beautifully crafted I, I didn't even think about the fact that I was in a tutorial while I did that Yeah. Um, but every so often in a game you'll just get something that just like it just feels like a developer put it there because of love
1: yeah they were just like I'm going to make this really beautiful thing here today because I had kind of rough a rough day yesterday yeah. so I'm going to make something nice
0: or like Fallout, you know, we talk about environmental storytelling a lot. Fallout was one of those games that, at least Fallout 3 plus, they do a very good job at environmental storytelling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get into an area that's just desolate. And you kind of wonder to yourself, like, what did these people do before the bombs dropped? Yeah. Like, what was the world like for them? You know, they were working in a steel mill or, you know, the the, the world was just a bright and happy place. And then it all ended in an instant, right? Yeah. I think Quiet Places, so my next question is why do we love them so much, right? Oh, well. So let's talk about why we love Quiet Places in games.
1: Oh, so and, and this is, and it's probably not the first one, um, don't at me game historians, but the first one I remember, and the, uh, the first one I remember is, and I know it was in part one, is Resident Evil 2, mm-hmm. the save room. That save
0: room music you can say it and I can hear the music yeah i, I i've been
1: 've been hearing it since you mentioned this topic yeah. in my head it's just you know the entire game can be so oppressive and so dark and like almost musically vacant like like there's yeah. all you hear is your footsteps and whatever sounds any monster nearby monsters are making and you know the giant clack of your gun in these like really hollow like hardwood floor hallways. Mm-hmm. But when you walk into a save room, you know there's going to be a typewriter. Yes. You know there won't be any enemies. And you hear this just like beautiful music. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you are safe and you're chill. Mm-hmm. And it it it's downtime. It's a place where I never... Every time I found one, I never failed to rest there for a minute. Yeah. And no one asked me to. No one asked me to appreciate the space. I just yeah. needed a minute to like... Okay, I'm safe right now. Let's like collect myself and see what I need to move forward. Yeah, and it's just it's so valuable. And when I think to like other kind of downtime, I did air quotes if you're only listening to this. <laughs> when you think about any other kind of downtime, I think about well, like think about stealth games. Right, mm-hmm. you're almost always waiting. Yeah, but you're you're waiting mechanically for a reason. And they've hopefully, if the game has done well, they found a way to make that waiting you're doing engaging. Yeah, but this is more of a Hey, let's 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 give the let's give the chance to like take a break for a second. Yeah,
0: I'll tell you a game that does this really well, and I want to I want to break this into two parts. Mm-hmm. So a long time ago, uh, this little bitty game came out. Like a handful of people played it. Uh, it was called Final Fantasy VII.
1: Oh yeah, I heard of that one. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. and. Final Fantasy VII was much like many other Final Fantasy games. And when you would get into a town, you'd kind of run around, click on people real fast, and like hear what they have to say. But really, you're running through the town to like yeah. get, get your items restocked and get your new weapons and do these things before you move on to the next part of the story. In contrast to that, we have the Final Fantasy VII Remake, in which you are in a town that you will go there to buy items and mm-hmm. restock and do all these things. But I found myself in the Final Fantasy VII Remake Spending more time in the town and taking it in, mm-hmm. talking to people and actually caring about what they had to say. Yeah. They weren't just, I want to click through your dialogue so that I can see that you said it, Then I got to move on to get my weapons upgraded and do all these things. In the remake, I really genuinely wanted to know about the lives of these people. The people who, like, worked around the the Honeybee N and, like, worked around Coronado and, like, yep. uh, all of the, these crazy things in this weird universe with eco-terrorists and, you know, life streams and, you know, all of this. It was so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it was because I was in a 2D versus 3D world, which there could be an argument made that maybe that was it.
1: Uh, it uh, and I'll tell you why it wasn't. And... So, to me, and, and Final Fantasy 7 is a great example. But if we're talking Final Fantasy and we're going to talk downtime, we have to talk 15. No. We have to talk about oh, driving. Oh, God, yeah. We have to talk about being on the My road mans. with your bros and then setting up a campsite and then, like, cooking dinner and just getting back in the car, getting yes. back in the car the next morning, yes. and just going for a drive. Amen, my friend. Yeah, up and down the countryside. That is downtime. Selecting the soundtrack in the car based off of albums you were buying in gas yep. stations along the way. Like
0: this is peak hangout. Yeah, like it is a story of four friends on a road trip where mm-hmm. shit just happens to go bad around them. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it is peak downtime. Mm-hmm. I found more enjoyment in the quiet moments of Final Fantasy fifteen.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I have... Uh, I, I liked the game. There's a lot in there to complain about. Yeah. But something I would never complain about, which some people did because it said it took too long to get to the rest of the game, was the driving segments. Because until... You were just fast traveling everywhere, or you got like a different or better vehicle. You spent a lot of time on the road. Yeah. But I loved being on the road. I loved getting like like getting to a place and being like a song from Final Fantasy Six. That's going right in the car right. and like n- not being able I'm so to like about that. yeah. I, I couldn't wait to get back to the car and have somewhere far away to drive. If you have so I never to the song.
0: played Final Fantasy fifteen, and maybe don't have a desire to, mm-hmm. I encourage you to go onto YouTube and watch the first couple minutes of the game. Yeah. So the game is about four friends on a road trip before the main character is getting married to a princess. Yes, correct. That's how it starts. And they're like, here's our last hurrah. The guys are going to go out. It's essentially a bachelor party. And they take their expensive vehicle and they drive. Mm -hmm. And they're just having the final summer road trip before he's no longer a bachelor. That's the premise for a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. This is... This is a modern kind of storytelling concept that's being brought to a more fantasy-driven world. I mean, mm-hmm. to be fair, there's cars and shit in this, and yeah. there are ramen shops. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, what I want to talk about is how this game about four friends taking the final road trip before their buddy gets hitched. They blow a tire at the very beginning, and they go to push their car. And while you are pushing this car, this gorgeous version of Stand By Me is playing. Yeah, yeah. And that sets the tone in a series of Final Fantasy games, where every game has always had these very heavy fantasy elements. It's there's not been a whole lot of modern to it. There's been cyberpunk, but nothing modern.
1: Yes, very much so. You have
0: a car that looks fairly much like something you could probably see in real life. Mm-hmm. Four friends, not even mad at each other that the tire burst. Yeah, and the song "Stand By Me" playing, and like it sets the mood for the game. Mm-hmm. And you want nothing more than everything great for these four characters. And when shit goes south in that game, and I will not spoil it, but it is tragic and it's sad and you're upset because you're like, I just want my friends to go back on their road trip. Mm -hmm. Because when it gets dark, it gets fucking dark. But that moment, that opening shot of four friends laughing off a blown tire while stand by me plays it just sits with you man and it's it does. a quiet moment in a game mm-hmm. they make you push that car together yeah they make you listen to the dialogue
1: yeah I, I mean until you change your vehicle they make you i mean you 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 sit through every mile yeah. and like not in a bad way it's i don't know they're just it's it's fun there's just you know
0: there's beauty in the quiet moments in games mm-hmm. um you know, it, whether it be you sitting on a bench in Hollow Knight yeah. or, you know, you getting to a safe room. These moments, I think, are some of the most important and often overlooked things in video games in general. Mm-hmm.
1: Because when they're really well crafted, we feel them. You mm-hmm. know, we. I'm 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 struggling to think of finite examples right now, but there's a thing that really good games will do. Uh, usually, the big budget ones, the AAA ones, the ones trying to win awards, where they will set, they, they settle in after a particularly hard moment or a particularly tough challenge. And they'll have the character do, like, a small thing or a small cutscene to, like, gather themselves, and then they'll just sit there. And the character won't get up until you touch the controller. Yeah, I love that. This is, like, the perfect small encapsulation of downtime. It's, like, you don't have to move again until you want to. You know, that probably took a lot out of you. How about you sit here while your character is also sitting here, tired, breathing hard, just... You know, grab, one, of, one, of my, one of my one of my vices
0: that I'm gonna quit soon is mm. I'm gonna quit smoking. Soon. Okay, but to to that point, when a really good game does that, mm. when the game sits my character down, oh yeah, I'll get up, I'll leave the game running. I won't you know, I won't pause. I'll let my character sit and I'll let my character rest and I'll go outside and I'll have my cigarette. Yeah, man. And I will let them sit there and just take in the moment. And it's a digital person. It's a digital entity. Yeah. But to me, that connection of we just got through this hard thing together, mm-hmm. why don't we both take a break together, it just sits in my mind as like no, a good it's, thing.
1: That, you're literally describing immersion in like the best way. Mm-hmm. Only the best games do that to you, where like you feel like you should respect this video game character's time. Yeah. And we all know that that's not real, but when something immerses you, you feel it. Mm -hmm. Like a a good horror movie makes you forget that the thing isn't chasing you. Right. And a really good video game really makes you embody the main character, if that's its goal.
0: Yeah. So we talked about what we like about downtime in games. Mm -hmm. I'm curious... Why do you think the downtime in games is important?
1: Because we all need a break, Um, honestly, because it's easy to forget when we're doing something, and Americans definitely have this problem in a big way. It's easy to forget that the thing that we do takes its toll on us if we're not doing, like, physical labor. Uh, People who sit in a chair all day and type at a keyboard aren't working less hard than someone who hits rocks with a hammer. Mm. Um, they still may be as tired at the end of the day. They're tired in a different way. They're mentally exhausted instead of physically exhausted. But the brain uses a lot of calories and still takes its toll on the body. Mm -hmm. And sitting takes its toll on the body in the same way that swinging a hammer does. When I play a video game that I'm really enjoying that is causing me to react to it quickly and make split second decisions and like focus on being good and paying attention. By the time I'm done with something like that, this happens a lot in Elden Ring. I realize when I've accomplished what I'm doing, that I'm breathing heavily, that my heart is, ra- my heart is racing a mile mm-hmm. a minute, my hands are sweating. I'm having a very physical reaction to these ones and zeros on the screen in front of me. Mm-hmm. And we need breaks. Like, like we need breaks video games have been telling us especially the Japanese ones for decades now, hey, if you need like five minutes go outside you know look at the sun touch some grace mm-hmm. you know it, yeah uh, but and yeah, that's why they're important because we really need do need some downtime. there's this uh, and uh, this is probably my my most classic example, but there's this um ladder in Metal Gear Solid 3 that takes a... Snake eater. about three and a half minutes, I want to say. I could be wrong. It could be like seven. It, 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 it takes a long fucking time to press up and climb this ladder. Yes. It is... You're just pressing and up, And the game man. sings to you while you and do And the it. game sings its theme song to you in a whisper as if it is echoing in this impossibly large ladder like... <laughs> Like concrete, like fucking shaft that just has a ladder that, like, no, no human being would could ever climb. Mm-hmm. But you get the whole song is basically whisper sung to you as it echoes off the walls of this of this fucking shaft as you just climb and you hear every rung, every bootstep, ding, ding. Dink, 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 like,
0: dink. What a thrill.
1: Yeah. And this this is downtime. Like, like I don't want to not count it because you do hold up. But, mm-hmm. like, you are entering a another section of the game. Everything is about to change. You just did a very scary boss fight if you didn't, like, understand the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. Because your enemy could be anywhere at any time. They could be hiding. They're very well camouflaged. They could have very easily... Killed you dozens of times before you won this fight. Mm -hmm. So being able to do this afterwards and just having the time to collect yourself is, is so cool. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, that's why it's important because you need it.
0: May I offer a a different opinion on the subject? Mm -hmm. Because that is why we're here, right? That is ultimately why we do this show. But for me, I think a big part of it is reflection. Mm. When you Get past a very difficult fight. I'm going to use the Souls series as an example here. Mm-hmm. When you get past a really difficult fight and you can light that bonfire and then go back to the, I haven't played Elden Ring, so I can't do it, but mm-hmm. the, 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 like the Firelink Shrine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You go there and there's this beautiful music that plays. And it's this moment of reflection because I've just done what many would consider to be the impossible. Mm-hmm. I fought this boss that took so many players out and I scraped by and I got through it. And for a minute I can let my character chill there for a second. And I can think about like, what did I do that helped me win that I can carry through to the mm. next fights that are coming? Cause they're right around the corner. That next boss oh, is yeah. creeping up on us right as we speak and so that reflection time that that a bit of downtime to Mm -hmm. really consider the things that got me to this point and that will move me going forward is so vitally important to me
1: uh very much uh okay so what did we learn right yeah okay yeah i like that i like that a lot yeah
0: and I think the downtime in games is you know, like you said earlier it's it's great just for your own mental health, mm-hmm. uh, having these quiet moments where you can enjoy them. also, I like when de- I do love when designers put in a, a spot that's like press X to sit and enjoy yeah because like mm-hmm. that usually means the developer really loved crafting the world around them, oh yeah, you know, and just like why don't you just spend a minute and just like take in the beautiful thing that me and my hundreds of other friends working together made for you. Yeah. Like, there's nothing better than just being able to take in the art without worrying about, like, a bullet-held, like, ship flying down at you trying to blast you away, right?
1: Yeah. that's uh I, to, Just to bring the game back up here, uh, right here towards the end, but um, there's a lot of, Uh, appreciation moments in Ghost of Tsushima. One of them is just a mechanic they decided to put in the game, and please, all open world games, figure out a way to do this, where um, Jin will play his flute, and eventually, if you're paying enough attention in the open world and doing your collectibles correctly, you learn more songs, um, okay. To play on your flute, and each one can change the weather mm-hmm. to one of a couple different presets. Mm-hmm. So you can have clear skies, cloudy skies, rainstorms, um, high wind—you uh, know that, uh, that all that kind of stuff—and you can just create it for the situation you're about to be in Mm. because so much stuff happens in the open world. So if you wanted to sit on a cliff and like sit down and play your flute and just like watch the clouds roll in, you can do that. Or if you want to attack, you know, a village and you're like, I want it to be like raining and thundering when I do this. I want it to be like a storm. You can do that too. Mm. It's just, it's, it's a multi-purpose tool, but it really does lend itself to some epic downtime in games. Like if, if all you wanted was like, "This is such a beautiful spot. I'm gonna wait till nighttime and then like have some rain roll in." There and cool. yeah, it's and it's just it's always worth it. You're never disappointed with what you get.
0: I'm gonna bring up a game that I actually don't like, okay, but has downtime that I appreciate. Mm. So, long-time listeners of the show, you probably know that I don't love the Assassin's Creed games. You're right. If there was ever going to be an Assassin's Creed game that was going to sell me on it, it was going to be Black Flag, the mm-hmm. Pyro one. I played more of that game than I did, played other Assassin's Creed games. And mm-hmm. I will say the parts that I really loved about it were the downtime. Yeah. I loved being on that ship and just. Sailing, sailing, mm-hmm. and you get to learn all of these uh, throughout. You know your collectibles that you pick up. Oh, yeah. You get all these like oh, new the sea pu- shanties, all the sea shanties, yeah. and you just kind of get to like experience that. And I was like, "This is the kind of game I want." Yep. You know, I don't want to Assassin's Creed everything. I want to like pirate ships and stuff. Yeah, and it was really great. it was a great use of downtime. And yeah, I think open worlds obviously tend to make the best use of downtime. But they're not the only ones. Games like Bastion or Transistor, they have spots of downtime.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, a great example is that you'll enjoy um, the Bioshock series, you know, mm-hmm. has some really good downtime in
0: it. Yep. There's a lot of spaces in Bioshock where you kind of just get to sit and wander and ponder and listen. Horror games obviously always do downtime really well. Mm-hmm. Um, PT it, to, to always bring it back to PT because I have to. Yeah. Like you know, there is the reset that happens when you get caught, and that brings you to that quiet room. Yeah. And before you go out into that hallway, because you know what's going to happen in that hallway, you can just sit there.
1: Yeah, you don't a, have to do anything. Like until you walk out the door, you're yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, and
0: that that's important to that game. So, I think to kind of break it all down, um, why do we think that downtiming timing games is, is important and why do we love it? Just a quick summation.
1: I mean, as a tool, it's uh, it, it always catches your attention. It's always impactful. It can be used to show off some cool art and music. It can be used to give the player a rest. It can be used to make them reflect on what they've seen so far and maybe plan for the future. Um You know, yeah, it's just it's underutilized in a lot of ways in a lot of games. And I would say that I feel like there is a larger indie space that could learn to use this tool. Maybe maybe some people or maybe even some developers think that this is a tool for like auteurs or people with big budgets or Mm -hmm. people who are trying to, you know, send a message, you know, or have a game that's trying to relay a a social issue that's Mm -hmm. important. But really, it's it's a mechanic. It's a mechanic like all the others. And if you learn to use Gone it well... Gone Home
0: is an entire game that doesn't deal yeah. with any combat it is pure downtime mm-hmm. it's one of the most hauntingly God, gorgeous game. games that's ever been made
1: and the studio's uh spiritual successor Tacoma same thing yeah which yeah. I've been
0: also on my to do list oh that's, uh, that's uh, Tacoma, I like it better than Gone Home Tacoma, and that's saying a Tacoma lot Tacoma and Firewatch I think is the other
1: one Firewatch is very good not the same studio but same type of game and very very good yeah I've mm-hmm. heard
0: that it's like James you like Twin Peaks you should probably be playing this game yeah so, absolutely yeah Honestly, you've made all the points that I could possibly make. Downtime in video games is beautiful. It's fun. It gives your mind a rest. It gives the the character on the screen a rest. And mm-hmm. maybe he he or she or they deserve it. Um, so when you do find these downtime spots in video games, take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Hit X to sit down. Yeah. Relax. Take in the scenery. Because it's all going to go back to the chaos and the combat soon. So just... Take a minute to appreciate that spot that this game developer or game developers put in this world for you. Mm-hmm. That is everything that we have for the show this week. Don't forget that you can head over to patreon.com slash GNGGcast to become a patron of our show. You can head over to facebook.com slash GNGGcast, where you can chat with us and always chat with me all the time because I'm never off of Twitter because I have an unhealthy <laughs> relationship with it at GNGGcast on Twitter. Until next time, for Hector, this is James.
1: And for James, this is Hector. Everyone, good night. And good game.